Arthur began to talk openly about drug-taking, and they seemed to have put happiness and love and drugs together. They don't always go together. I don't think heroin brings happiness to anybody. Or morphine or cocaine or anything like that. This is terrible, terrible things that, that, that people just get hooked on, and uh, they're really not nice at all. There might be other kinds of drugs which don't... Uh, which aren't as harmful as this at all. I and mean, we've got a fantastic, you know, the whole world, Western world has got a fantastic legalized drug system, which is hundreds and hundreds of places where we're supposed to take drugs, which are namely alcohol, which is very big business. And, and, and this drug, alcohol, is certainly, I don't think, uh, any worse than, than the other drugs which have been brought up re uh, recently. Listen, living, listening to Synchronon. Second Ron. Yes, you listen to Synchronon. The Second Ron, the world source for antisocial commentary. God, what a bunch of scumbags. Good evening. Welcome to Second Ron, the world source for antisocial commentary. I'm on your host, D. Simon. Hi, I'm Kate Rambo. Hello. What's the crack there, Kate Rambo? Um, I have been officially diagnosed with nasal fishes. Anal fishes? Nasal fishes. Sometimes when the bowel movements are too compacted nasal. and big, it can cause a fissure. Nasal fishes. Oh, nasal. Okay. Nasal. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. That's what, just too much cocaine? No. My, like, uh, my fat Nordic little button nose can't cope with the cold, it seems. She said uh, my doctor was super nice. Every doctor at that doctor's office, like every time I've been there, I have to wait half an hour for my appointment. But every time you go in, the doctors are just so nice. You're kind of like, oh, I just, it's all right. It's all right that you're overworked and understaffed. You're just well, do, so fucking nice. When you go in there and you're like, hey, I got like uh, cracks in my nose. I got the nasal. Do they even ask you if you do cocaine? No, I think she looked at me and she was like, you're not the you're not on the ching all the live long day but i said to her i was like i went on dr google and i'm pretty i know these are nasal fishes but i'm not quite sure like what they've come from or i think it's the cold i work in a cold environment like 30 hours a week i'm effectively in a cold environment and you know what i learned recently as well john holmes of wonderland fame he uh, had a similar job to me he was a, a forklift truck driver in a warehouse in la and his lung collapsed three times in two years because he went in from the blazing hot sunshine of LA. And then as he drove into the warehouse, the freezing cold temperature just like fucked his lungs. So I'm very similar to John Holmes, except I don't have AIDS. Didn't he also have anal fissures? I think he did towards the end, yes. <laughs> Rest in peace. Um, I imagine it must be really cold there. Are you uh, freezing your tits off? It has been cold, and uh, no, I'm not freezing my tits off. I've put, you know, I, I've we've been talking about it at work. I was like, I've put my heating on. I couldn't give a fuck. I'll go into debt with the energy company because what are they going to do? Are they going to come and try and take their energy back? Come and try. It's not physically, it's against the laws of science for you to take your energy back. I'll just owe you money, you pricks. It's not my fault. Yeah, it's getting I'm a payment plan. Fuck them. Yeah, fuck them is what I think. I'm being warm and toasty. It's been cold in L.A., but cold in L.A. is like summer for you guys. Right. So um, today I uh, drove all the... Well, I took an Uber all the way down to Manhattan Beach at 8.30 a.m. to pick up my new car. 
finally yeah, got a new crisis car. golf car. It is a very midlife. It's you know it's the first time uh, that I've ever actually picked out a car for myself. Every car I've had has been a hand me down. Oh, actually, yeah. you know, I take it back. Uh, me and my girlfriend, like in two thousand, bought a car together. But then, but she kind of chose it. I didn't really choose it. So this is the first car that I actually was like, this is my car. Like I went and picked it out. I customized it. Everything's black. Put all your stickers on it. Oh, yeah. That you wanted. So I got a black 2017 Toyota 86 and only like 50,000 miles on it. Not that bad. Um, I did have them reupholster the seats with black leather as well as add black rims because you awesome. kind of have to have everything black. But it's a cool car. They call you know they call it the uh, the Japanese Porsche. Uh, definitely not okay. as fast as a Porsche, but um, but it's it's cool. It's like a it's a it's a very affordable sports car, and it's a lot I'm more fun to drive to than a fucking Prius. That's for sure. And I must say, my Jew claw was strong. It was on point. Did it all come out that day? Well, you know, I haven't had to wield it in a while. But uh, I, I managed to do them down quite a bit. Um, however, they did offer me only $600 to trade in the Prius. I was just yeah, like, but a what? Prius is 10 a penny over there, man. Like, we don't really have Priuses over here. So you're probably going to get more bang for your Prius book over here. No, I was like, this is an outrage. That car is worth <laughs> way more than that. So I'm, I'm He was the it. rabbis. Keeping it. I'm two cars now. Um, but you know, uh, car salesmen, and I've been dealing with them a lot recently, are a very interesting breed. I don't think I'd be able to do that job. I think my dad would have been an amazing car salesman. He was very good at manipulation and he would be very, and he could, he was intelligent enough to just, he's one of those types of people who just has it as well, who could like sell ice to the Eskimos. Just yeah, one but, of those. He's a grifter. But is he going to get soused all day? How could he deal with that? Well, I think most most used car salesmen are getting soused all day. Maybe. I mean, so first, here's the reasons why I don't think I'd be good at that job. First, I don't know enough about cars. That's that's very obvious. Second, I don't like to have awkward conversations with random people all day. Like all no, day. I, you're yeah. in a like a intimate situation where it's just you and one other person in the car and you gotta like make conversation. It's a bit like being a hairdresser, isn't it? You've just got to keep the banter up, the level of banter. But sometimes there's too much banter. Sometimes there isn't. That would be the word. Yeah, the customer interface is the word. Yeah, it's banter. Like, I I think you have to establish a rapport in order to make the sale. I'm just not that good at at small talk like that. You know, but that's that's their job. I mean, you go on test drives with people and you have to to banter, you know? The guy uh, that helped me, Conrad, was actually kind of a cool guy, though. You know, he was—it was funny. He was very gangsta, but yeah. he had a—but he had a high-pitched voice, kind of like a Michael Jackson type voice. But he's very gangsta. Like he just—I mean, it was in—you know—well, man, it was Manhattan Beach, but I don't know where the, where the guy lived. Uh, but he had like kind of like a swagger about him. But he'd be like, uh-uh. "You interested in that car?" Like it was like really high voice. It was, it was kind of funny. You know, I go it's into like more detail. Out of Friday. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> I go into way more detail in the second show uh, about it. But anyway, I was driving around with Conrad, taking a test drive in the in the Toyota eighty six. And as we were driving up, I think it was on Sepulveda, uh, we stopped and there's like this homeless camp 
of course, because it's Los Angeles. And it's like homeless camp, and this one guy steps out. And I swear, he looked like fucking George Clinton. He was just whacked out looking. He had like different colored dreads. He was wearing like a purple suit, but like a shitty suit. It was all tattered. And he was just singing, like belting, not even singing, belting that, uh, that Green Day song. You know, that one... Um, uh, Jesus of Suburbia, the song I've been listening to loads at the minute. <laughs> no, way worse. Boulevard of Broken Dreams. You know that one? <laughs> I walk a lonely, lonely road. road. Only yeah, of course that... I do. Oh my God. I was God. saying to you recently, I don't know if it was a reaction to listening to so much George Michael, but the album that was like my stop listening to George Michael every day, Kate, was like, weirdly enough, American Idiot. I must have listened to American <sighs> Idiot about like 30 times um, in a, like a week period. Pirate Jesus of Suburbia was a good fucking song. God, I'd rather have a three-hour Taco Bell shit than listen to that album. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> it's good. <laughs> but the guy like was walking by just singing that, and then he stood on the corner just like, I walk a lonely road, bubba. You know, I, it was terrible. Barn and so I look over at the guy and I was like, that's the aftermath of an acid overdose. You know, that guy right there is a walking anti-drug PSA. It's like a dare commercial. And, uh, and Conrad, like, looks at me. He's just like, you'd be surprised, man. LSD, it can heal people. And I was like, <laughs> what? He was like, yeah, it has curative properties. And I was like, really? And then he tells me this story about this woman who apparently took 500 times the normal amount of acid and it healed her Lyme disease. Like she had I, like, there, well, I guess she I had like foot pain that was related to Lyme disease or that was like a result of Lyme disease. And it, after this, like, I mean, it was a long trip. It was like a couple of days. Um, I'm calling fabrics to fuck on this stupid story. There's no way this happened. I do agree. Everyone should take acid at least once in their lifetime. But if you're what, you're on a trip for five days to heal your foot pain, fabrics. Well, I, we were talking about it. I guess she'd been suffering for years from this foot-related um, illness or foot-related pain that she got from Lyme disease. And she didn't take the 500 times the amount of acid on purpose. She did. It was an accidental overdose. So, you know, it's weird. So I've, I've read that people microdose psilocybin. I think some people might even microdose LSD. But... I didn't know that it could like cure an ailment that you had. So when I went, when I you know picked up the car, I was driving home in a lot of traffic, Manhattan Beach. Manhattan Beach is like literally eight miles away. It took me an hour and a, an hour and twenty minutes to get back. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had time. I looked it up, and yeah, a woman accidentally took five hundred fifty times a normal LSD dose. So what's weird about about LSD, I mean, they did test back in the 60s on LSD. You know, right. I don't think they're currently testing on humans, but they, they don't really know all that much about the adverse effects of like extremely high doses of a drug like LSD. So what they have to do is they, you know, they, it's mostly anecdotal evidence, you know, that, that that's the only way they can really gauge it. It's like, you know, talk to somebody or interview a person who's had a real life overdose. So in this case, this woman... It was at, uh, where was she? I think she lived in Vancouver. Um, she, uh, she had had a history, she's a 46-year-old lady, had a history of using morphine to treat Lyme disease-related pain in her feet. And Is she, this Avril Lavigne? No. Her you know Avril Lavigne has Lyme disease. Does she have pain in her feet from it? 
her life was nearly fucking ruined by Lyme's disease. She is like the number one spokesperson for Lyme disease. I thought she ruined her life by marrying the Nickelback guy. <laughs> no, she ruined her life by marrying Derek from Some 41. Oh, <laughs> who's married the no, Nickelback guy? Who's she married to now? Because she did divorce the horse from Nickelback. Oh, okay, so she was married to the Nickelback guy, Avril Lavigne? Yeah, yeah, she had, a, she had a black wedding with the Nickelback guy. Wow, just like, uh, like what do you mean? Like a funk band playing? Like Southern like <laughs> No, black <laughs> Southern like how foods, we had like... a black wedding. <laughs> Have you heard that conspiracy theory about Avril Lavigne that she died and she was replaced by like I... her number one? Uh, I have yeah. read that before. But... I, uh, why do I know so much about Avril Lavigne? I, I don't know. know Avril Lavigne, an American idiot. I'm wondering what's going on over there in the UK. <laughs> God, are you sure it's like just nasal things. fissures you're suffering from? Um, <laughs> anyway, this woman thought it was cocaine. She thought she had a line of cocaine. She accidentally snorted a 55 milligram dose of pure LSD in powder form. Didn't know what it was. Okay, right, right. I'm just, so you've already mentioned that she's taking morphine for foot pain. Now she's got cocaine in the mix. But hey, guess what? She hasn't actually got cocaine at her house. It turns out to be a bunch of acid she's bought. I don't know if she bought the acid. Maybe someone just had a line for her. They were doing lines. She didn't realize what it was. And so, no. well, Mark Hayden from the University of British Columbia, who interviewed her, said this was the equivalent of 550 times the normal recreational dosage of 100 micrograms. So she had 55 milligrams, whereas normally you just do 100 micrograms of pure LSD. And so the woman said she did it, and then she started feeling like very weird. Within 15 minutes, she called her roommate for help. And over the next 12 hours, she vomited frequently. Uh, she, was, she said she could recall that she sat upright but was blacked out almost the entire 12 hours followed by another 12-hour period in which she felt almost pleasantly high, but still vomiting frequently. <laughs> then um, the collateral report from the roommate, because they also talked to the roommate, revealed that she mostly just sat in a chair with her eyes either open, closed, or rolled back, frothing at the mouth, occasionally <laughs> vocalizing random words, and just vomiting frequently. <laughs> But guess what, dude? She's got no foot pain. Well, <laughs> My well, mom's disease is cured. So after the first 12 hours of vomiting, and then the next 12 hours of vomiting. being pleasantly high and still vomiting, 10 hours after that, she was able to converse normally and go to the bathroom, and she seemed coherent. But what was strange is after her recovery, like weeks after, she realized that like her foot pain was easing up and she stopped using morphine and then she started microdosing LSD because I guess it was like taking much smaller amounts than the even the hundred micrograms that's a normal amount but I, I guess the foot pain was easing up like she didn't really have it as much however she did experience episodes of anxiety depression and social withdrawal <laughs> you're telling me on that uh, acid come down even when you're high on acid when you're at your peak you're like if no one else is on acid and you are you're like everyone is a everyone isn't on acid and i am i have to try and be normal here well it sounds like this woman wasn't even at that level of of, of being coherent well no like... i mean she is now now she's microdosing. Uh, this just sounds like a junkie who has weaned herself off opiates onto lsd i mean good for her if she's got an lsd supplier but isn't it usually the case that lsd is hard to get i've always found a struggle getting lsd i know we've got the deep web nowadays but not not getting... that difficult in los angeles i know 
a couple people that I could get it from if I wanted it. But I'm I'm cool with not having it. I you know I enjoyed using it when I was like in high school, before I actually had real world concerns to think about. Um, at this point, I'm I'm fine just drinking booze and uh, smoking a little weed here and there. Um, but anyway, Colorado just voted to legalize mushrooms, and so I'm wondering if LSD, you know, will be will be next. And then it won't be. Well, I don't. You know, who knows? I mean, it's it. I was surprised that they 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 legalized mushrooms. So I'm, I think it's funny that workplaces are going to have to deal with their employees, you know, microdosing. Yeah, mushrooms and weed. I get they're from the earth. They're from nature. Nature. LSD is entirely human made. It's manufactured. It's like speed. Yeah, I mean, it's synthetic. Anyway, so I just don't think it would ever happen. This week is a continuation from our uh, our episode last week. I kind of I like this this connection, this nexus between shows. So last week we covered the uh, unsolved brutal murder of new wave weirdo Peter Ivers, um, possibly by the hands of infamous narc Acid King David Jove. And so I've been wanting to cover the Acid King for a couple of years now. I don't know why. Uh, I remember um, me and Harrison used to talk about this guy. Uh, but we never really got around to it um, up until now. So this week we, we, are, going to, uh, we are going to talk um, about the Acid King and uh, a very famous incident, like, almost like, a, like a, a, a famous rock myth. The Mars Bar yeah. Party that I don't know if how many people are, are that familiar with it, but it's a very, very famous, definitely in, in the UK, it's very famous, but it's one of the, you know how there's like, there's rock stories that have just been perpetuated over, over the decades. This one in particular, the Mars My Bar favorite. Party, which is great. And then there's the, uh, the Led Zeppelin Mud Shark. I was about to say, don't say my favorite one because I want to say my favorite one. What is your favorite Le- one? My favorite one is that Rod Stewart had to go to hospital to have oh. his stomach pumped because it was full of sailor cum. That's my favorite rock star myth. And I, I think it's true. He looks like he would swallow tons of sailor cum. Did they say the same thing about one of the new kids on the block? No, it was just Rod Stewart. <laughs> Rod Stewart is the OG cum swallower and he overdosed on cum and had to have his stomach pumped. Well, anyway, before we get to that, <laughs> Let's first talk about something better than acid, the Sick and Wrong Patreon. <laughs> I thought you were going to say better than cum, then. <laughs> it is. It's better than cum, too. Um, so we've been releasing a lot of Patreon-exclusive content recently. Um, you know, it's funny. A lot of people emailed me for pics of my brother's weird roommate who jacks off in gay Zoom rooms all day. Um, I still I, haven't seen a picture. I don't have a picture of the guy. I didn't take a picture with the guy. But I'm asking. I'm working on it, all right? So if you're a patron, you might be able to see it. Yeah, but this is why you needed a millennial at that party, at that mix-up. It was just full of, like, you old lot who don't know how to use your phones. If I'd have been there, there would have been, there would, I would have been doing lives with him. Yeah, you would have just been taking selfies and going out <laughs> and doing reels. Yeah, yeah I, I don't, exactly. Usually I'm not thinking about doing that. Um, but what I'm saying is if you're not currently subscribed to Patreon, you're totally missing out. You're missing out on a lot of uh, essential components of life, put it that way. And it doesn't really cost that much. I mean, it's like literally $5 a month. That's it. $5 a month, and you get to support your favorite podcasters on uh, Patreon, and you get access to the second show. So uh, this week, I go into detail about unleashing my Jew claw at the Manhattan Beach Toyota dealership. Really did catch them off guard with that one. Uh, We also discussed my ideas for a personalized license plate. I checked. Jew Claw is actually available 
And it's a is pretty, it? it's a high contender. Um, I don't know if they'll let me do it, but I think it would be a Why great... Why wouldn't they let you do Dewclaw? Although Dewclaw is going to bring a lot of unwanted attention to yourself, I feel. Possibly, but no one's going to try to screw me over because I'll whip out that Dewclaw. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll, I'll barter with them. Um, also, a listener sent a story about a Texas woman who was uh, arrested this past week for delivering 50 pounds of feces to her local police department. So all that and more on the Sick and Wrong second show. So we don't have time to chat about everything on the main show. I mean, there's a lot going on in our lives. So the second show is where we do that. It's a bit more personal, quite a bit more randy. Um, so go, to, go check that out. That's only five bucks a month. For a few dollars more, you get access to the uh, the bonus episode, uh, Sick and Wrong Overkill. Um, I know Kate Rambo is working on a big holiday special right now. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a major spesh. So I know I might release it on Christmas Day. Christmas just because, Day. Well, yeah, because I mean I don't do anything on Christmas Day, so I might as well just. So that will it. be something to look forward to. You can escape your family. Go listen yeah. to the Sick and Wrong Overkill, as well as the Sick and Wrong Archives. You know, the first 10 years of Sick and Wrong is available on SoundCloud playlists on the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Sick and Wrong. Um, here's a quick Patreon teaser that we're hoping will persuade you to sign up for the Patreon. And then let's chat about one of the most infamous narcs of all time, the Acid King. Hey, Sick and Wrong listeners. If you're not currently a Sick and Wrong patron, you might be missing out on special moments like this one. Do they Uh-oh. like shove your face like underneath their balls, like yeah. in their taint? Do they like shove your face in like the fucking in their well, shorts? <laughs> yeah, because the way it works at like you know strip clubs I've worked at, like female strip clubs, especially like the nasty, fully nude ones. Yeah, you know, they're on all fours. They, you're if you're putting twenty dollars down, they'll reach back, grab your head. Your head's right in their asshole pussy, just like being suppose, shoved back and forth. Like, does that it, work? At like, is that how? It, it happens at like the a Chippendales dude. is a bit different, isn't it? Because you're not tipping the Chippendales. The Chippendales will like have their dance routines and they'll pick victims out, won't they? And oh, and they'll pull you stage. up on stage. And then they're doing their fucking grind in their fucking um, half cocked cocks. Well, I just <laughs> don't think. cocks in your face. I don't think most women want some just random boner. Just, I'm, they probably want don't mind a guy in like a G-string dancing around, but I bet you they don't want like a full boner just slapping against their face. Well, no, it's painful, isn't it? Uh, or That's Talking uh, from experience, it's painful. <laughs> For only $5 a month, you can enjoy these special moments. A bonus news story, extra phone calls, and an hour's worth of outtakes every week at patreon.com slash sick and wrong. Sign up today, support the show, and keep it sick and wrong. Don't you ever think of me. Okay, I'm going to start this with a bit of a disclaimer. There's a lot of man, myth, and legend to the story of the Acid King. But first, I've got to explain the difference between what a Mars bar is here in the UK and what a Mars bar is in the US, right? So in Britain, Australia, and Canada, which are also the greatest countries in the world, the Mars bar is a Mars bar. So it's a layer of nougat. It's topped with a layer of caramel, and then it's encased in chocolate. Wait, wait. It's a layer of what? Nougat. How do you say that? Nougat. Nougat. Is, it, is that how you guys pronounce it in the UK? That's Nuga. how I fucking say it. No, no because like there's a difference. Because in France, there's a nugget, and this is a nougat. Well, in the US, we say nougat. Yeah, well, you guys also say pecan. All right, people can call in about this, but the proper <laughs> way to say it is nougat, not nougat. 
<laughs> like, that sounds like it's a drag queen's you... name. <laughs> Nougat. Nougat. <laughs> Work it, girl. So a Mars bar is a layer of nougat, so top of a layer of caramel, and then it's encased in chocolate. But in America, you guys, you call them Milky Way bars, whereas to us, the Milky Way bar is just a layer of nougat and chocolate. Stop laughing. I'm just saying nougat. <laughs> okay, so it's just a layer of nougat and chocolate in a Milky Way. Yeah. Bonjourno, can I get some nougat and chocolate? <laughs> it's nougat. I didn't want to get the Americans to get confused when I'm mentioning Mars bars because to me, right, a Mars bar is a very hefty chocolate. It's very rich. It's dense. It's thick. Milky Ways are like light and airy. Like, I don't know if you've ever dropped a, a Milky Way, but you're fucked when you drop them. They smash. Whereas like a, a Mars bar is a brick. You could probably like, if you freeze a Mars bar, you could probably kill a man with it. Yeah, I'm, I'm never actually. You know, to be honest, I'm not a fan of Mars bars or Milky Ways. Um, I do. I, I like a Milky Way. I'll, I'm putting that out there. I'd rather have a Milky Way than a Mars bar. Than a Mars bar. Well, you know, I looked it up actually after you said this. And I never really thought about because we have Mars bars here. Like you do, we. I know we used to, um, but a, an American version of the Mars bar was produced, which had nougat <laughs> and, <Nougat. laughs> and toasted <laughs> almonds covered in milk chocolate. Later, caramel was then added to the recipe. So you had nougat, toast and almonds, covered in chocolate, and then caramel. But then yeah, but the that's American not a Mars bar. Yeah. Well, that's what the American Mars bar was. Where are these almonds coming from? Well, that, I love it does sound nice. It, actually, probably it, it does sound pretty good. But then the American version was discontinued in 2002, and then they revived it in 2003 under the name Snickers Almond Bar. The, yeah, fuck that. That's stupid. But now the Milky Way, I didn't even know this, but the Milky Way sold outside the U.S. has no caramel topping. And it just consists of a nougat center <laughs> that is considerably lighter than that of the British Mars bar and the American Milky Way bar. So the, the global Milky Way that's marketed in the United States is a, is a three musketeers bar. Okay, right, because I was about to say, our Milky Way bars here are like, they're so light and airy, they practically float. So you're saying that a Free Musketeers bar has a bit more, like, density to it. There's a bit more nougat in there. No, I think the global Milky Way bar that is light and airy is is the Three Musketeers bar. Oh, you think yours is the light, light? It can't be lighter than what we have, honestly. If you drop a Milky Way bar on the floor here, it is just, it's smashed. Same- but, that, but like a, a Three Musketeers is very fragile. Like it's, it'll crush. Like it will be smashed if you like dropped it. Whereas I think an American Milky Way bar, you know, that has like caramel to hold it all together. And nougat. <laughs> is, when is... I come to Paris and Lisbon, when I meet up with Vietnia, I'm going to bring you a Milky Way bar and you can tell me which has more nougat. The, the Three Musketeers bar or the Milky Way. And is nougat what you guys scrape out of your foreskins? <laughs> nougat <laughs> it's how i say it i'm pretty sure loads of people say nougat maybe it's like a scone scone situation that's what i'm thinking no i've always said nougat i don't know maybe it's just the way you pronounce it or maybe, maybe that's gonna... a, the british pronunciation i'm not sure but in the u.s it's nougat <laughs> bonjour now <laughs> So a fun fact about Mars Bar, actually, D, uh, it's been around since 1922, so it's over 100. It's 100 years old. Happy birthday, Mars Bar. 
And it's actually named after a popular malted drink of the time. And it's not uh, the astronomical galaxy like you'd ex uh, expect. And that reminds me that that time when we were walking through Beverly Hills, remember at Halloween, you said we would stop by a diner and get me a malted. And we never did that. And I remember that. You got a milkshake rather than a malted. I didn't get a milkshake that day. I only had a milkshake in Canters. I want a malted now. That you owe me a malted. All right, I'll have to get you one. Yeah. Didn't you say your dad liked a malted? Yeah, and he liked no, something called what a chocolate. Was it? He liked no, he likes a chocolate phosphate. Is what That's my dad it, would phosphate. have. Phosphate. Yeah. That sounds very American. Uh, so it's yeah, like I'm not old the, school. It's like a 1950s nuclear war thing, isn't it? Let's all go get phosphates down at the sock hop. I think that's what they did. They like, you know, it's like you want to go get a, a phosphate down at Al's Diner, and that's what you do for a date. That's, I think that's a pretty nice date. And then go necking at Inspiration Point. <laughs> and that's when he'll maybe go a little too far, and suddenly you're pregnant and you're giving birth in a, a nunnery, and now you're having to give that child away. And you name that kid Nuga. <laughs> Nuga. <laughs> yeah. Almost so sounds like I'm you're not... saying the N word. <laughs> Maybe we should replace the M word with new gar. <laughs> new gar. From now on. <laughs> uh, I will say in the uh, in like my Christmas uh, in my Christmas in my chocolate top tier, Mars doesn't even like feature. Like I like anything with nuts. Like all like nuts can get in my mouth, but my top tier ultimate chocolate is a dark chocolate bounty. I think my. I'm not a huge chocolate fan, but if I had to pick one chocolate bar that I like, it's Butterfingers. Oh, I do fucking like a Butterfinger. You know, did you see that reel I posted, um, I think my <laughs> Instagram story, where someone took the E-R and then put it at the end over the S, so it just said uh -huh. Buttfinger. Never thought of doing that. I got never thought about that before. Now I like Butterfingers even more. Butterfingers are way nicer than Reese's Pieces, but I wish they would make a Butterfinger. So we have a British honeycomb uh, chocolate called a Crunchy, and I wish they would combine a Butterfinger with a Crunchy and do like a peanut butter honeycomb crunch sensation. That could be good. You're onto something here. Now, we, you mentioned this before. If we say the phrase Mars Bar Party, then uh, certain people know the event I'm talking about, and that's how we're going to set the scene for the episode. you got to remember what David Bowie said. He said, print the myth, right? It's the whole theme for this episode. I would say the Mars Bar Party is as infamous as the uh, Led Zeppelin Mud Shark story. Yeah, but that actually happened. You know, I don't know if the... I don't know how much is exaggerated. I wouldn't... I, I would... It's not beyond, you know, the realm of comprehension that Led Zeppelin would shove a, you know, fish parts up some girl's snatch in a hotel. And I'm sure there's, you know, groupies that were more than willing to have a fish shoved in their snatch. There is no member of Led Zeppelin that I would fuck. They're all like down south toffs. I, I would have been getting drunk with Slade or I would have just been like being rammed by a like Black Sab. Yeah, but would you be cool with, like, the members of Slade shoving a mud shark in your snatch? It actually seems more like something Slade would do for lols. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think they, I might be wrong, but I thought they were, like, in a hotel in Seattle or somewhere in Washington that was, like, right on the water so they could just fish right out their window. Oh, I don't know about that part of it. Maybe that part has been, uh, has been print the myth. But I'm pretty sure, like. I'm not sure. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, 
good old Keith and Mick of the band that needs no introduction, the Rolling Stones, they were arrested at Keith's house on February the 12th, 1967. Whispers of a setup started almost immediately. And for once, it turns out that conspiracy theorists are right. As Keith said, there's two ways the authorities can deal with a perceived challenge. One is to absorb and the other is to nail. They had to leave the Beatles alone because they had already given them medals. So we got the nail. You're probably right. <laughs> well, the Redlands Raid was one of the most famous of, all, famous of all the drugs busts of the 60s. And it still remains one of the most famous rock star scandals. It began when the now defunct News of the World newspaper, which is a tattle rag for all that was titillating, they received a tip-off that the bobbies on the British beat were off to arrest Keith and whomever else that they found in his house. The paper put in a sneaky bid amongst the local law enforcement, and for a tidy sum, they were allowed behind-the-scenes information, which still but, goes on to this day. You know, you, when you listen to, like, you know, the Stones' 60s music, along with the Beatles at that time, you know, the Beatles had a very clean-cut image. The Stones, like, they started Never growing did. their hair long. And they were like they just were bad considered, boys. yeah, they were considered rebels, like bad boys, especially in the media, especially amongst like authority figures. So I, I wouldn't be surprised that the Bobbies weren't, you know, gunning for them, like trying to look for a reason to arrest them. And it's backwards as well because the Stones were like well educated, really nice like uh, boys, and the fucking Beatles are Liverpudlians. <laughs> yeah, it's totally backwards. Uh, now, well, like we're saying, nowadays the Rolling Stones, they're as like British as a cup of tea. They're safe as houses. They're kind of like a cardigan that you've had forever yeah. that you still love, you still wear, you're overly sentimental about. Like me and you both really love the Rolling Stones. Back in 67, they were the bad boys. They're here to shake up the uptight establishment with their long hair and their darted suits. The band featured the frosting hips of Mick. An ice-cold stare from Brian Jones. We've got the slick licks of Keith, the slightly behind but on the beat beat boy of Charlie Watts. And we're not going to talk about Bill fucking Wyman because the less said about him, the better. Keith and Mick have erased him from the band's history, so we're just going to pretend he's never existed. He's a fucking nonce. Yeah, he's a nonce. They kicked him out the band. And they've erased him from the history. I know that they changed the plaque. I can't remember which uh, train station it's at, but they had a meeting at a train station. It was the first ever official Rolling Stones band practice. And it used to say, like, the first members of Rolling Stones met here. Well, a couple of years back, they took Bill Wyman's name off it. <laughs> I wonder, is Bill Wyman, like, allowed to, you know, form another band and, and play the songs that he, like, you know, contributed to? I'm not sure if I'm not sure of his level of songwriting to be honest. I think they would be I think he would get sued. They would sue him. I imagine they probably would, especially with the bad blood between them, but he's got enough PRS from his past to live yeah. off and never and like that awful book he wrote where he he talks about his nonsense in it. So fuck <laughs> you Bill Wyman. The Mod Squad of Britain, they're eating it up. They're digging the Rolling Stones blues covers, instant rock classics. They've got pockets full of pocket money and weekly wages to spend on suits from Savile Row. And the speed that they would need to dance all weekend. They're fueled on fish and chips wrapped in yesterday's news. The Rolling Stones, they cl quickly went from nowhere to somewhere. And they were living in big party mansions where anything could happen. And anything will happen if you listen to what Dave Bowie says. I'm sure Bowie went to a lot of their parties. Oh, of course he did. They were all. This was Bowie's um, dressing, like wearing dress era as well, where he was all like, "Oh, la di da, there's a toad in the fields." 
era. Didn't Bowie and Mick have a thing? So they say. I don't know if Mick ever dallied in that way. I think Mick's always had a beautiful fucking women hanging on to him. I don't know. I I think he might have been uh, ACDC for a bit back in the 70s, but who wasn't? (laughs) They all were. The establishment, which is the uptight British conservatives, their minds still stuck in the front lines of WW2. They're in despair of the younger generation who seemed more interested in drugs, music, turning in and tuning on, man. And then they did about keeping the stiff upper lips of the Brits' history. The Rolling Stones, they need to take him down a peg or two. It wasn't a war between the Rods or the Rockers. It was a war between them and us, D. Now, I've always been more of a rocker myself. Fuck the mods. Right. I hate this because personally, I cannot live without a lot. Of, I fucking hate the who. Oh my God, do I hate the who. But I do not love, I love like the Renettes, the Shangri-Las. I love Northern Soul. Like when I get drunk, I dance to Northern Soul music. So I'm, I can't pick. I love you're, both you're, of them. And plus the mods dress better. Yeah, no, the mods, that's one thing. The mods definitely had a, a cool style. I'm just, I'm just saying I've always been more partial to the rockers. I just, I couldn't imagine going through life without listening to a Renette song. I'm just not doing it. So I'm in the middle. And I like speed. They both took speed. Okay. I would have hung out with both. They both partied, that's for sure. Yeah. On this particular evening, on this particular weekend, Kiefer's entertaining his friend. So he's got the hedonistic art dealer, tastemaker, and heroin addict Robert Frazier, a.k.a. Groovy Bob. Some people would be very aware of Groovy Bob. He made the 60s swing in uh, more ways than one. He would actually be one of the first British celebrities to die from AIDS in January of 1986. The book Groovy Bob, uh, it's a great book. It's The Life and Times of Robert Fraser by Harriet Verner. It's well-researched. It's great. It's fun read. You'll blast for it. It's cool. He's a cool cat. I have to check it out. You know, and when, I, when you uh, mentioned Robert Fraser to me, I was like, oh, yeah, Groovy Bob. I hadn't thought about that guy in a while. But you know what's interesting about him? Fun fact here is Fraser art directed the cover for the Beatles' 1967 album, Sgt. Pepper's. Yeah. Um, and he actually dissuaded the group from using the original cover, which is that, and you people have probably seen it, but it's like that psychedelic artwork that was created by uh, the design collective, the, the Dutch design collective, The Fool. And it's got that like kind of psychedelic background. It just had a picture of them standing in their, in their outfits, like in the corner. But uh, Fraser is like, no, that sucks. And so he suggested that they get these hip pop artists in London who did the whole famous collage cover design. And they won like a Grammy award for, you know, for that. Yeah. It, I mean, he was definitely in, very influential on the art scene as a tastemaker. Uh, that book is so good. I've had that for years. Mick was there as well. This is back when they were still friends and not just frenemies. And Mick had brought his girlfriend a smoke show in looks, voice and talent, Marianne Faithful. Marianne was just as much as part of the British invasion as the Stones. Her single, As Tears Go By, was a huge hit, and her English rose looks led her down to tread the boards in the end. I can highly recommend her film, The Girl on the Motorcycle. It's a beautiful and a very damned erotic romp, and I hope what happens at the end of that doesn't happen to you uh, with you and your Toyota 86. Yeah, hopefully not. Do you get to see your tits in that movie? Mm, I can't remember how naked she gets in it. She's got a set of rack on her, like. I know. That's what I'm saying. I will definitely watch it if I get to see her rack. <laughs> if this did it. 
Marianne is known for her, like, her distinctive whiskey-soaked voice. Well, that's actually not natural. She cultivated it through time. She suffered with consistent laryngitis because of her very persistent drug use. Because, I mean, you only have to see the type of company she's keeping to be aware of that. But in the 60s, she was still marginally fresh-faced. And she was actually a whole register higher than she would be on what when she recorded her now-considered classic album, Broken English, which came out in 79. Marianne Faithful, for those that don't know what she looked like, she's kind of like an English uh, Brigitte Bardot. She's all like big doe eyes, long, thick blonde hair. She's got these pursed pink lips. And she's kind of got a glint of cheeky fun behind the eyes. She was, she was very hot. Yeah, she's totally hot. But m- name a woman that Mick Jagger w- was with that wasn't just beautiful. No, all she's of them. dated yeah, some new yeah. woman. Who who is Jerry Hall dating now? It's someone like Rupert Murdoch. Rupert Murdoch. Yeah, isn't that weird? That said everything to me that I needed to know about Jerry Hall. But also, Jerry Hall is from Texas. Yeah, I guess that's true. But yeah, I mean, she may have been like... hedonistic, but probably very conservative at heart. Yeah, God, I can't. I can't imagine. Like, I can't picture them having sex. Whereas I could picture Jerry Hall having sex oh, with, like, yeah. old Mick Jagger. I love that she dumped um, Brian Ferry for Mick Jagger. Because, honestly, I would dump Brian Ferry for Mick Jagger, too. <laughs> Wouldn't you? <laughs> Who was Ronnie Wood dating back then? Um, oh, God. Ronnie Wood's been married for a very long time. He's been married to, oh, I forget the name of his wife right now. But they've been married since, like... The God, the nineties. He had a baby he... as well. They all have babies. Like, like Mick had a baby a fair few years ago, and Ronnie Wood had a baby a fair few years ago. Yeah, that's so they're like Ronnie's wife dads was in really the seventies. Oh, his new wife. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're yeah. right. He was married for a long time to Joe time. Wood from eighty five to twenty eleven, but then he married a new woman who's <laughs> way younger than younger, him. Younger, and yeah. they had a baby, and yeah, he's and like a baby. Ox- an oxygenarian dad, yeah. I like yeah, Ronnie like, Wood, though. Well, he's like 75. Like, I, I don't know. That kid's got to be like two. Come here, Sonny. We're <laughs> going to play guitar. <laughs> Earlier in the day, in this day, George Harrison with his wife, eyeliner and beehive queen, Patty, uh, who were uh, Patty Boyd. I mean, just so many hot women in this story. Oh, yeah. She's going to be one day wooed away by Eric Clapton, although it was more that she was emotionally abused away to be raped and beaten. Fuck you and the horse you rode in on, Eric Clapton. I fucking cannot stand Eric Clapton. Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> Just not into that guy. No. The pair of them left before the popo moved on in. I don't think the British public were ready to accept that their cash cow and MBE so-called fab four weren't so fab after all. Whilst I'm also here slagging off uh, Eric Clapton, fuck the Beatles. I hope some middle-aged male listener has now switched off in disgust after listening for 16 years because he can't handle me slagging off the worst band in history. (laughs) Fuck the Beatles. All right, who's worse, the Doors or the Beatles? The Beatles. Worse than the Doors? Wow, okay. Yeah, a million times worse. The Beatles have done more harm than they have done any good to music. (laughs) Fuck them. Also present at the party was a friend to the Stones and all that rocked and rolled around swinging London in the 60s. It's a man called the Acid King, a.k.a. David Snyderman. Reports vary about Snyderman. Some say he was a Canadian-born 27-year-old. Others say that he was a Californian resident. One states the name is Dave Britton, which I find hilarious because it's just David Britton. <laughs> Papers described him as an upmarket American West Coast flower child. Yeah, I, you know, looking up this guy... There's so many different names. I mean, he's got like 
I don't know, 10 different surnames. I saw Snyderman, Schneiderman, Britain, Jove. Like the guy had so, has so many different identities. I'm just yeah. wondering which one's the actual, you know, true identity of, of the Acid King. I don't think we'll ever know. In the book Up and Down the Rolling Stones by Tony Sanchez, Michael Cooper says, the guy's much more than an ordinary pusher. He had a whole collection of passports in different names and with different nationalities on them. I saw them once when I was looking through his bag for dope in Redlands. Just help yourself, mate. Just go through my bag. Mind all the passports. Michael said that the Acid King was nothing less than dodgy. He talked to me about guns and weapons in the same sort of way that most guys talk about chicks. He was like some kind of James Bond character. He is kind of like a Bond villain, but like in an Austin Powers movie. And with tons of drugs. Yeah, Fun lots, drugs. With lots of drugs. The partygoers were supplied with LSD on the morning of the raid. Marianne said that he had dosed their morning tea with a tab of white lightning acid. Uh, I love that. That's one of my favorite George Jones songs, White Lightning. <laughs> white Lightning. The party was over when 18, 18 Shepherd's Pie eating police. Incidentally, Shepherd's Pie is Keith's all time favorite food. Mm, I didn't know that. He requests it um, when they go on tour on the rider. Once again, 18 police, I am using the term, busted down his door uh, lightly as Bob Dylan's Rainy Day Woman number 12 and 35 was playing, much to Keith's later delight. You know, that song, people would know it's the one, you know, a lot of people call it erroneously, Everybody Must Get Stoned. Everybody Must Get Stoned. I haven't listened to that in a long time because I listened to it loads when I was like, you know, you go through that phase where you listen to it loads. I'll I'll listen to some uh, Bob Dylan after this. The police would charge Jagger for being in possession of four tablets of amphetamines. Keith was slapped with the charge of letting his house be used for the purpose of smoking cannabis, both sent to Wormwood Scrubs. Bob was found of his works. He would serve a six-month sentence. But the Dave Bowie story goes that the police found a lot more than four-speed pills and a strung-out homo. (laughs) Under the watchful eye of the Acid King and the other party onlookers, the King and Queen of Carnaby Street were apparently buck-naked on a bearskin rug. Mick was licking a Mars bar that was sticking out of his swinging girlfriend, out of her pussy. Okay, wait, wait. He wasn't eating it. He was just licking the Mars bar. He could have been biting and nibbling on it suggestively. How, how big is a Mars bar? It's like a standard size chocolate bar. Although everybody always says that um, everything is smaller nowadays. So it's probably way bigger in the 60s. But I mean, you know how like you get like a Cadbury like slab? It's not like that. It's like a, just a... It's like, like that? Like what? Like four inches? So could you fit that whole thing in your pussy? Oh, yeah. With ease. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but would it, I, first of all... I'd be nervous because it would probably melt. But I find it funny that he was licking it rather than just eating it. I think licking is much more provocative, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose. Sexier. It's kind of like an Andy Warhol porno. The it couple doing it with the most British of chocolate bars. Also, I would like to use this as an aside. I know I don't need to say this because uh, all the women who listen to this show are highly intelligent people, but don't shove chocolate bars in your pussies. Like, I know they don't need to be told because I don't need to be told to not put food in my pussy. It's like an innate thing we are born with. Like, don't put things in our pussy. I just, yeah, just don't 
Yeah, it's your genitals. You just don't put food on them. I've never well, understood that. we get frush. That. You don't get frush. We get frush from it. It's going to fuck up with your pH levels if you get some chocolate in there. Well, it's just don't gross. Do it. I don't. You just don't put. I don't associate food with genitals. <laughs> I'm glad you don't. No. But this is where the rumors persisted. So much so that Marianne even addressed the incident in her autobiography, saying the Mars bar was a very effective piece of demonizing. It's way out there. It was so overdone with such malicious twisting of the facts. Mick retrieving a Mars bar from my vagina. Indeed, it was far too jaded for any of us to have conceived of. It's a dirty old man's fantasy. Some old fart who goes to a dominatrix every Thursday afternoon to get spanked. A cop's idea of what people do on acid. <laughs> Have you read the book um, Butterfly on a Wheel, The Great Stones Drug Bust, all about the Redlands bust? No, I haven't, but it, ha- it is actually on my watch list. Oh, I probably should have got was, it for this episode. Yeah, I was listening to this interview <laughs> um, where uh, Simon Wells, the author, is being um, interviewed about it. And... Uh, he was saying that Marianne Faithful feels that it like left an indelible stain on her career. Like she was like it, it right. was a struggle for her to get her career back on track after this incident. I bet it was. I'm, I'm just surprised. I mean, it's the sixties. It's the you know the the flower power summer free love era. Like I'm surprised people would freak out about that. Like, did she have that squeaky clean of an image? Why was she hanging out with the Stones then? It's It was different times back then, D. We can look back on this with like hindsight, but it was still a very conservative era. People were still getting engaged at 18, still going to a nine to five job, still having children really young. It wasn't like, like it is. People going off and living in communes or being in rock and roll bands were like very outside the norm. I get yeah. what she's saying. And uh, I like the way she she completely just says it was all fabrics in, in her book. She was naked when the police actually politely knocked on the door and then let themselves in. But that's because when she'd been high on acid during the day, she'd gone upstairs, she'd taken a bath, and then she'd come down. She came downstairs in an orange fur bed cover. But, because she is a performer, she did give the police a quick flash uh, when they came in, but she wasn't arrested. You know, and Neva was the acid king. You know, that's one thing I've never understood is how people can bathe or take a shower on acid. On a come down, I can kind of get it. But when I'm peaking, I have to be outside. I have to be like uh, doing an activity. I remember one time when I was in college, I had like just taken acid and I needed to take a shower because we were all going out. And I just dropped and I was like, I'll have time to take a shower and everything. And while I was showering, I started feeling it. Like I definitely oh, started, no. I could tell that I was like starting to trip. And so... I got out of the shower and I started toweling myself off and I was unable to get dry. Like I, I'm sure I was dry, but I, you know, didn't know if I was dry. So I kept trying drying myself off. Anyway, I was just completely like lobster red. And I remember oh. I rejoined everybody and said, they're like, dude, you're like really red. And <laughs> I think I just like chafed myself. And I was just like, you, you probably, you know, good rule of thumb. Don't bathe while you're on acid. Maybe Although, I'm you know what I used, down, I was say, what I used to love when you were peaking on ecstasy was to go take a shower. That I, that I probably wouldn't have a problem with. Actually, I'm, I've taken showers on ecstasy before. I was about to say it's like a, a horny next level experience. Well, not by myself. Wait, this is back when ecstasy had ecstasy in it, though. Drugs are trash nowadays. <laughs> So the allegedly the 18 policemen didn't search the Acid King's briefcase, 
which was stuffed to the rims of LSD, uppers, downers, and other pharmaceutical delights of the day. He told the officers that the case contained film and that once it was exposed to the light, it would all be ruined. They believed him, and by believe, I do mean nudge, nudge, wink, wink. A searching officer did bodily search him. They found hash, and in the police evidence notes, they did book the suitcase, which was full of around 30 items that were suspicious, but apparently not enough to book and charge Snyderman. Hmm... I wonder why. I'm saying Snyderman like I'm about to say Spiderman. I do apologize, but it's a made-up name anyways. That is suspicious, though. I it wonder is. why they found they found hash on him mm. and didn't search him further. Very suspicious. Well, no, they did. Uh, it, all the reports say that they didn't book this briefcase, right? But I looked through the police notes, and the police notes say that they looked through this briefcase. Hmm. Yeah. All right, very suspicious. So the lurid details that came out um, about this whole um, incident, about a naked girl wrapped in a fur rug, that was brought out the trial that was reported in the, in the press, obviously not true. But that established the idea that the police had interrupted a drug-induced orgy. But now as Faithful described it, she said their story went like this. A group of dissolute rock stars lured an innocent girl to a remote cottage where having plied her with drugs, they all had their way with her, including various sex acts involving a Mars bar. It's just funny how everywhere. the myth and the story just proliferates. Because, you know, it's Print like the, the media is probably, first of all, the media is reporting whatever they want to report. And then yeah. people are hearing it, and then they're retelling what they thought that they read. And so the story just kind of snowballs into this, where it's like the whole band's fucking her in the ass with a Mars bar. Yeah, it was like how us just talking about uh, the Led Zeppelin incident where like, oh, and wasn't the hotel next to a river so they could just fish the fish out? It's like it snowballs, it grows. But, you know, where the rumor started, though, is unknown. Because I started looking into this, like, who started the rumor? Was it a journalist? Did it, was it a lawyer? You know, trying to defame the Stones? Or was it the Stones? You know, trying to be, you know, notorious? So I looked into it. So they, where, when and where... The rumor started is unknown, but it was already circulating by the time the trial happened. So the jurors must have known about it. You know, obviously, like it was all over the news. Marion Faithful said she first heard the story from Mick, who he first heard it from another prisoner while he was at Worm, uh, while he was incarcerated at Wormwood Scrubs shortly after the trial. Uh, one claim is that the rumor is inspired by Keith's cash of candy which is a detail that was listed in the official police inventory of the raid. So he had like a big, like, you know, secret cache just filled with candy. Yeah, because um, he's a junkie. That makes sense. Totally. And then Marion Faithful was just trying to steal a Mars bar in her <laughs> pussy. Because that's what women do with chocolate. We shove them up our vaginas. You can't trust them. Seriously. Snakes with tits, man. Yep. Christopher Gibbs, who's a pal of Mick's, and who was also riding high that day in the party pub, said, uh, party pad, said this about Snyderman. He was a Pied Piperish character. Who the hell he was and where he came from, nobody knew. He just popped up. He was able to tune into everybody's wavelength and was seductive, satanic, the devil in his most beguiling of disguises. After the bust, he vanished as devils do, vanished in a puff of smoke and never seen again. David Jove, hint, not his real name, was a Toronto-born wannabe actor who had recently returned from living in Britain, and he found his way to the ho- to Hollywood like all hopefuls and scumbags seem to do. Like me. 
Um, and me. And Harrison. <laughs> so what's interesting, though, about David Jove is that he was a songwriter and he was an artist who did record two albums worth of material. Yeah. yeah I mean, it, I, I would say he was just like a talentless wannabe, you know, actor. Um, but anyway, Schneiderman, Jove, Snyderman, whatever you want to call him, was a keen follower of Aleister Crowley and was a member of the Toronto Lodge of the OTO. So it's weird how many people in the whole like Beatles, Stones, you know, orbit at that time also were like into Crowley. You know, a lot of them did. Like, a cult was such a, yeah. you know, a thing at the time. Well, so when we did the invoke. process church, it's just yeah. a satanic. It was just popular to be into Satan at that time. And, uh, you know, books say that Schneiderman, uh, David Jove, dedicated both of his albums to uh, to fellow Crowleyite and filmmaker Kenneth Anger. So what I'm wondering, and Kenneth Anger is all part of that circle too, I yeah. wonder if this is how he was able to access the stones in her sanctum. Like, I mean, he must have met Keith through this. Like, I wonder if Oh, it was like how like- he ended up there. He ended up there because, uh, well, I don't want to get into what, how he ended up there, but he, we'll get into how he We're going to get into it, but I, I just wonder if, like, because the Stones and the Beatles and all those, you know, they're all kind of into that whole thing with Crowley and all that. So I wonder if he, like, kind of infiltrated that scene, not to mention had a briefcase full of drugs. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's into it, too, because it was just popular culture at the time. Yeah. I think everybody did that in the 60s. Maggie Abbott, she's a talent scout and she's an agent. She met David in 1983 and she quickly fell for the brown-eyed boy. I mean, he is handsome. He dropped hints about his past, uh, that he had infiltrated a group and was now on the run from them and a whole angry nation. Maggie didn't realize who David Jove was until the pair went to a lunch date with Marion Faithful, who was in town in 1985. So this is two years of dating. Maggie knew Marion because she was once Mick Jagger's agent and they were still friendly. Marion immediately recognized the acid king. And uh, after the lunch, she basically took her out to the car and she told Maggie to steer clear of him because of his involvement with Redlands and his ensuing disappearance and this whole horrible... He'd basically nearly ruined her career. So you'd be pissed. Good on Marion for sitting through a whole lunch of him because I would have just chucked my wine in his face. Yeah, I'm surprised she didn't just like walk over the table and just turn around about face and just leave. I would have gone to a store and bought a delicious nougat-filled uh, Mars bar and just gone and just whipped it at him. Hit him in the head with a with a, a bar full of nougat. Nougat. <laughs> Maggie would write a book about David called The Acid King, and this is as much smoke and mirrors and print the myth as David Jove himself. And she said of him, David was a heavy drug user, but he had a quick wit he was the perfect choice to infiltrate the stones he never showed any remorse for what he did it was all about how he had been the victim he was a totally selfish person mick had been my friend as well as a client and i thought about trying to persuade david to come clean publicly but he was always armed with a handgun and i feared that if i gave him away he would shoot me David told Maggie that the bus was planned after that he had been caught with a ton of pots at, uh, pot at customs he was told by British spooks that he'd get out of any prison time that was coming his way if he simply set up the stones. He said that the British spooks were working with the FBI's counterintelligence division known as Pro. Pro's job was to discredit groups that were seen as subversive. And at the time, you can't really get more popular and subversive than the stones. After all, they sang about Satan, 
And Mick was quoted as saying, war stems from power-mad politicians and patriots. We must end all these mindless men from seats of power and replace them with real people, people of compassion. Bold. He's bold, I tell you. You know, that is one, uh, COINTELPRO was, was something. Oh, I is mean. that how you say it? Yeah, it's Co- COINTELPRO. <laughs> what am I, I saying? You're, you're on a roll. I didn't want to interrupt. Thank you. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've, been, I've been wanting to cover that, actually. It's very interesting. It's an interesting part of uh, a very controversial part of U.S. history. But uh, it was set up, the COINTELPRO group, I guess, directive, was set up by FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover to surveil and disrupt groups and movements that the FBI found threatening. And so most of the groups are like anti-war, you know, student environmental activists um, and like the new left, the people that were against like Vietnam, for example. That's who they were trying to really surveil. But um, they also harassed, infiltrated and accused of criminal activity many members of the black community, particularly the Black Panthers. But other black leaders like Dr. Martin Luther King, you know, Huey Newton, Bobby Seale. Uh, Stokely Carmichael and Elijah Muhammad, they were all targets of harassment by uh, COINTELPRO. But Hoover, Hoover's a weird guy anyway. And that oh, guy yeah, has he was. So, so many uh, skeletons in his closet. But uh, he had like. Closeted, you know, indeed. Oh, yeah. Um, but he, he, you know, he was obsessed by the threat posed by intellectuals, political dissonance, and the, you know, the anti-war and contraception activists. Like he was, he was obsessed with them too. So under you know his direction and leadership, they targeted Billie Holiday, Charlie Chaplin, Ernest Hemingway, John Lennon, and hundreds more for just you know exercising their constitutional rights and freedoms. I do have to say something wrong, at least. Uh... One episode. How do you say it? Coin Intel Pro? No, Co Intel Pro. Co Intel Pro. See, yeah. because the Co is part of it. It like it's not Co and then like a dash or anything. It's all one word. Well, if you were saying it phonetically, you'd say it was like Coin Tail Pro. Coin Tail Pro. But it's Co Intel Pro. Researcher May Brussels uh, found a 1968 CIA, CIA order known as Operation Chaos, in which they planned to neutralize the restless youth. And by 1969, the SSS, the Special Services Section of the FBI, combined with the Justice Department and the CIA for Operation Chaos. Isn't SSS very close to SS? Yes, <laughs> it's very close. I think when I was saying some that, other letters. Can you do a lisp? Because when I was saying that, I was like, I wish I could do a lisp. Or one of those things where I could whistle on my S's. That's always <laughs> endearing when people can do that. Operation Chaos, it ran from 67, the year of the Redlands bust, and it ended in 1974. It was established by Lyndon B. Johnson and expanded by Nixon. Their main targets were the Students for a Democratic Society, the Black Panther Party, the Young Lords, Women's Strike for Peace, and Ramparts Magazine. Like, they just hate you, Ramparts Magazine. You're on the list. At its finality, um, Operation Chaos had files on 7,200 Americans, a computer wow. index totaling 300,000 civilians, and around, you know, 1,000 subversive splinter groups. It came to an end when investigative reporter and author, there's actually a few of his books I want. He wrote a book about um, uh, killing Osama bin Laden, Seymour Hersh. He published an article in the New York Times about the operation on December the 22nd, 1974. So that expose brought Operation Chaos to an end. Um, it did. Yeah, but, you, you know, it's interesting the, the methods that they employed here. Like there was physical surveillance, electronic eavesdropping, 
Uh, they use liaison services in maintaining surveillance. And uh, the CIA expanded it. So it was like, you know, anti-war groups, leftist groups, um, groups operating within the women's lib movement. That was a major target. Wow. Um, I forget that show that was about uh, the uh, the the pro-choice activists in the 70s. This is actually a pretty Rhonda? decent show. Rhoda, no, sorry? Rhoda? It was relatively recent. It came out like maybe three or four years ago. Rhoda. Possibly, I'm not sure. But they, they went into how they're being harassed by the FBI. Um, but the domestic spying operation, uh, spying of Operation Chaos also targeted the Israeli embassy and domestic Jewish groups such as the B'nai B'rith. And so what, what they did is they to spy on the B'nai B'rith in the Israeli embassy, they purchased a garbage collection company so that they could collect all of their trash to like analyze and rummage through it before destroying it. Imagine, imagine, like you, you set out to the academy, and then you, you get deemed intelligent and smart enough that you can be sent to the FBI academy, and you're like, oh yeah, great, this is my life path, this is my worth, and then like, right, you're on garbage duty. <laughs> like, really? What's, that's it's that's all, what I'm doing. It's all very Orwellian, though. You know, it's like this, this surveillance. We're watching you. Yeah, this, and now they don't need to do any of this because it's all electronic. They can just sit. I mean, they're watching us through our cameras right now, especially you, not me. Yeah, no, you. I should put a piece of tape over that. <laughs> Maggie and David, they didn't last. David found love and marriage with Marlene Weinstock. Uh, and she also went by the stage name Lotus Weinstock. And she's super interesting. So we're going to talk about her for a little while. She was a college dropout, but she didn't drop out because she wasn't, wasn't intelligent. She dropped out to move to New York to pursue her love of theater and dance. And she did really kind of pretty well. She got a few off-Broadway roles. Hmm. In 1965, she met Lenny Bruce. She was 22 and he was 40. They were instantly attracted to each other. And they were engaged up until his fatal overdose in August of 1966. His death totally shocked her. And her reaction was a spiritual one. She turned to poetry and songs to help her deal. Which kind of like, I kind of did that in a different kind of way. Because like when my dad died... I went and wrote a concept album about murder and death with the Asian babes. That was like what I did. Hmm. I think I recorded the... a podcast with Wackerly. See, there you go. It was a spiritual one. Yeah, I talked about hiding my dad's drugs while the uh, hospice nurse was trying to flush him down the toilet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one of my prouder moments. We've all been there. Uh, Lotus performed in a musical comedy duo called The Turtles with Jimmy uh, Gavin, and they toured the folk scene circuit, which was huge at the time. I mean, this is the late 60s. She's kind of like an outsider artist, like Peter Ivers was, because, like, there wasn't many other musical comedy duos, especially with, like, a female going around at the time. At this point, her name was Mari Hayden, and one of her songs was covered by, like, a kind of folk. Uh, blues maestro Richie Havens the song's pretty good actually I listened to it hmm. it's a song called Cautiously and it features on his 69 album named 1983 in 1969 she met David Jove in Toronto and within two weeks they were married there's uh, the first red flag Almost immediately, she became pregnant with their daughter, Lily. James Weinstock, her Lotus's brother, said, I first met David on Christmas Day in 1969 when I had returned to California from Bali where I had gone searching for God. This is a thing that always annoys me. White people always go to India looking for God. Why do white people think God is in India? Well, Why would God be there? Bali's in Indonesia. 
But yeah. What is it? Oh yeah. my god! I have Bali was in Indonesia. Bali's in Indonesia. What? He's not. not in India. Relatively close to India. But yeah, a lot of people, a lot of the new age types at that time were like going on spirit quests to like, that's why the Bali seems very odd for her to go to. Because India. Yeah, because they usually go to India. Do you think they have nougat in Bali? (laughs) (laughs) You know, uh, did you read about uh, Indonesia this week? They passed a (laughs) law. No, because I don't even know where it is, apparently. (laughs) They passed a law saying no premarital sex in that country, applying to tourists as well. Oh, why, well, why would tourists would go, go there, there when you're not married? What? Why would you go there if you're not like married? Wouldn't you be like, oh, we go to Indonesia as like a honeymoon? Although now I, I feel like I need to look at a map because I really wanted. Where's Indonesia? <laughs> it's kind of like uh, it's Pacific Southwest, those islands over there. But is it okay? No, Bali's like a major tourist up. destination. A lot of tourists, you know, went there, and it's like now you can't have premarital sex. It's, they recently got a very conservative government right. that came into power. Would you not just pretend to be married? Just put some rings on and be like, Mr. and Mrs. I, yeah, I don't know how they Mr. enforce this. Are they like busting into hotel rooms, making sure you're not fornicating? Well, maybe. We, we won't be going there for quite some time because I probably couldn't book a flight there. <laughs> well, don't you don't know even know where it is. Yeah, I don't know where it is. <laughs> <laughs> So he's out in Bali searching for God. On New Year's Eve, he showed me a gun and said that he had just killed a man who was messing with his car. But that's going to be you now, because if somebody messes with your car, you're going to come down and mess with them. Ooh, I'm going to pull out the Jew claw for sure. Yeah. Although they are married and they're still together as a couple, Lotus and Lily never lived with David. And it was around this time that they lived of the Brotherhood of the Sauce. It's a commune in the Hollywood Hills led by a man called... Father Yod. And are we going to do this on next week's show? Yeah. And they, once again, this is like a three-part series. And, and it's going to stomp after this because uh, we're getting into the holidays. <laughs> but there's a nexus between all three of these shows. You know, yeah. Peter Ivers, murdered by David Jove, whose possibly. wife was a member, possibly, whose wife was, uh, was a member of uh, the Source Cult. Which, you know, there's a great documentary about the source, but don't watch it because we'll talk about it. Um, but Father Yod, it, it was almost like a vegetarian cult. Like, I could be yeah. down with this. Like, Father Yod, um, he, uh, he opened, like, one of the, he, he was the owner of one of the countries, like the USA, like one of the, the first, like, vegetarian restaurants in this country. And it was on the Sunset Strip. It's actually not far away from you. I looked it up. No, it, it would have been right up the street. Yeah. Um, I heard, you know, I don't know if it was in the 80s or 90s, but they did open it up for just one day to go. I mean, now oh. there's loads of vegetarian restaurants, but it's kind of fascinating that Father Yod, or Yahowah, as he, he liked to be called, um, he was a very, like, imposing man. Like, he had a big, long beard. He kind of looked like a wizard. He's huge as well. And he's huge. But he founded this spiritual, this vegetarian spiritual commune in the Hollywood Hills that was known as the Source Family. So we're going to get into that next week. Yeah, going to end on a weird cult. So she moved from music to comedy saying, when a whole room full of people are laughing, suddenly you have dissolved the pain and shame of separateness. At this moment, there is no judge- judgment. It's a true release. As Lotus, she performed on the Merv Griffith show, the Mike Douglas show, the Tonight show. But she actually didn't do too many television appearances because she didn't like being on like a timesheet, basically. 
but she is super respected amongst other comedians at the time with her main critiques being that she could be a little bit preachy. One comedian who I absolutely love, who cites her as a major influence, is uh, Sandra Bernhard. I love her. She's hilarious. Mm. Other friends of Lotus uh, were Sam, uh, were Larry Miller, Sam Kinison, Richard Pryor, Robin Williams, Jerry Seinfeld, Jay Leno. I'm just name dropping a few. They were all like buddies and they all thought she was great. Well, they were all from that same scene, like late 70s, yeah. early 80s, like, you know, Comedy Store, Laugh Factory, that whole area. In 1978, the Belly Room, which was a performance area in the Comedy Store, it opened as a place for only women to perform. Lotus is 36 at this time, so she's like kind of a bit of a den mother for the younger comedians there. It was seen as a safe space where there was basically no need for competition. We can work on our craft together. There's going to be zero sexual harassment. And it's a place where they, you know, they could just grow in confidence. They instilled a sense of confidence in the comedians there with Lotus saying that confidence speaks louder than any gender. I mean, it's righteous. I dig it. I wonder if she would have been a fan of Dave Chappelle. Um, Who knows? <laughs> you know, the belly room is actually still there. Like it's still, it's not, it's not it's woman only anymore, but it's, no, it's, there's like four rooms at the comedy store that have different stages of Me. comedy going on. So there's like the basement, there's the belly room, the main room, and there's, I forget what the other rooms are. I, I hate the fucking comedy store. <laughs> I really do hate it. I think it's there. cool though that No, it's, it's awesome there. that it exists. I just hate being there <laughs> and having to deal with it. So it's I rarely go, me, but... but I have seen many shows in the belly room. Another reason that Lotus probably never made the big times in the comedy circuit was because her number one priority was being a mother. Lily decided from a young age that she wanted to be an actress, but when she was eight, she discovered that she got her kicks playing the violin. And by the time she's 15, she's performing with the Los Angeles Philharmonica. And she's still playing the violin to this very day. George Clinton, not the homeless one, the real George Clinton, called her the Jimi Hendrix of violin. Hmm. Yeah, you know, she performed with George Clinton. So Lily Hayden is is uh, the daughter of Lotus and David Jove. Yeah. So, um, and do you know, have you seen a picture of her? She, she's hot. She's like, she's hot. She's probably like but, early early 40s, I think now, maybe, maybe mid 40s. But David Jove and Lotus, Lotus kind of has a, um, like a Patricia Arquette in True Romance kind of vibe to her. She's very, uh, like Paula Yates nearly. She's hmm. gorgeous. And David Jove has like is really attractive too. He's he kind of reminds me of like a Chris Stein new wave character. They're both good looking people. He kind of looks Jewy. Like when I was looking at him, I was like, he kind of could be I mean, I'm gonna post a picture to the, the website um so you can see it. But yeah, he kinda looks Jewy to me. I don't know if he was or not, but Schneiderman, you know, sounds kind of Jewish. He picked that name though. But yeah, in other it. pictures he doesn't look as Jewy, but I can see what you mean. Um, but Lily Hayden, though, was a prodigy from an early age. And Jove uh, was extremely fond of her music and talent. And he would invite like a lot of his friends, a lot of famous friends, uh, to her performances. But he rarely ever told them that the, the woman on stage you know, playing the violin was his daughter. I, I thought that's that was kind of cool. He's very humble about it. And then and afterwards, also he'd be weird. like, that's my child. And people would be oh, like, Whoa. right after. Yeah, and no, I thought that was really cool. Um, but Lily Hayden began her career as a child actress at the age of seven. This is before she uh, you know, picked up the violin. And she initially appeared in commercials and she moved into television film roles. So from 79 to 80, she played Jenny Colombo, the daughter 
of Lieutenant Columbo and his ex-wife, Kate Columbo. So th- that was kind of funny. And that was in the Columbo spinoff series called Mrs. Columbo. Is Peter Falk in that? Yeah. But I mean, he, he? he wasn't the main character. Wow. I mean, that was what they did back then. You know, Happy Days yeah. spun off in Laverne Shirley. Um, the Jeffersons was a spinoff from like All in the Family. I mean, that was a thing that they did. Um, and in 1983, she started as Belinda Campoletti, the smart and sassy daughter of Rodney Dangerfield's character in the comedy film Easy Money. Well, and that's how they kind of all probably knew each other as well. Well, I'm sure he, she probably got that role through her parents. Yeah. Lotus and David, they divorced after 18 years, mostly spent living apart. Lily and Lotus, they were close, really close, up until Lotus died of an untreatable brain tumor at the age of only 54 on August the 31st, 1997. So if you listen to last week's episode, we know what David Jove was up to in the late 70s and early 80s. He's implicated in the death of his friend and collaborator, Peter Ivers. Harold Ramis said of David, as I grew to get to know David a little better it just accumulated all the clues all the evidence it just made me think he was capable of anything i couldn't say with certainty that he'd done anything but of all the people i knew he was the one person i couldn't rule out harold Mm. said this after he and david had created the top for ktla basically it's a diet version of mtv it's a continuation of new wave theater guests included cindy lauper the hollies bill murray dan Aykroyd. And, and Rodney. Yeah, and Rodney. Rodney Dangerfield. We love him. The host this time was the oaf and bar Chevy Chase, who for one episode dressed up as a punk, and he actually ended up getting in a fight with a real punk in the audience. I hope he, he refused to return because he's a fucking pussy. And he's replaced with Andy Kaufman, the sweetest. And this would actually be his last paying gig before he died of large cell sarcoma of the lungs on uh, May 16th, 1984. At the only age of 35, you always forget how young Andy Kaufman was when he died. Only the good die young, yeah. Oh. David mainly kept to himself, and by that I mean print the myth. I'm sure he had many fingers and many pies, although he was actually mainly ostracized by the glamour set because of his copious drug use. I wonder if he was just like, doing rails of cocaine at this point or if he was still doing acid i think he was probably eddie nash level uh drug drug intake so he must yeah. have been making money supplying people with drugs and so yeah. he must have had like connections throughout la i think it would have been like one of those sad turns when you go to like somebody who you used to party with and maybe you don't party as much anymore and you see them and you're like wow you d- you just didn't stop did you man like well, just... I wonder if he still kept, you know, carried around the briefcase. Yeah, like that. You'd just be like, oh, I wish you'd changed. You were so cool. But like, ugh, it's just sad you know, what's it's, happened to you. You know, it was funny when uh, Kessler lived here. This is the early aughts. And he was involved with that, um, that movie Wonderland with Val Kilmer about John Holmes. Right. Um, his friend directed it. I forget the guy's name. And uh, Mausner wrote it. So anyway, during that time, it was fun to party because I used to come down here from San Francisco. I was strip club DJing at the time. But I'd come down here and just party with those guys. And I think we hung out with Val Kilmer a couple times. But anyway, they had a friend. Kessler had this friend that he kind of friend, uh, you know, acquaintance that he would get drugs from. And this guy would just show up. He was an older guy. I would say probably, so I would have been in my 20s. This guy probably would have been like close to 50. And he always had this briefcase that he would just open up. That was like a tackle box, just filled with drugs. Yeah. Oh, he's I mean, he's professional. Me. Yeah, yeah it was like a that, that guy's a professional. 
But at the same time, this is a man in his 50s hanging out with a bunch of 20-year-olds. Well, it's I think he sad. just went from, like, Saturday night party house to, party. to house. Like, you pay, you, you, no, you didn't page him. I think you just uh, text him or call him or whatever. And he'd come over and just, like, you know, you'd wait, like, an hour and come over and be like, what do you need? And just open up the, the, the briefcase. So that's what I imagine David Jove must have been like. Yeah, but I think David Jove was sloppier and on drugs, a lot more yeah. drugs. Well, I think he used his own drugs. One of the last people that he would confess all to was his daughter, Dil- Lily. He said, uh, she said that he told me he wasn't a drug dealer. He felt he was expanding the consciousness of some of the greatest minds of his day. There must be something in the rock and roll water of those from that era because just before he died alone in 2004 at the age of 61, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And that's obviously what killed him. Same thing that killed my dad at the same age. Ooh. I, I wonder if my dad ever had drugs off uh, Snyderman. Yeah, I wonder it, if he ever It's not without paths. the realm of possibility that he wouldn't Would have. You, I mean, your dad was in a band that era. It, that was, you in know, that era. In that scene. In that yeah. era. I would say, yeah, I would say there's probably a good chance he crossed paths with that guy. And he first started taking acid when he moved to London, so... Yeah. You never could have taken my dad could have taken the acid king's acid. We'll never know. You know, I read that uh, at Redlands, uh, the type of acid that he was dealing with at the time was this one called. It was this uh, not a strain, but this type called sunshine. That was really popular. It was supposed to give you one of the best, like most pleasant trips, but it was very like mind expanding. But sunshine yeah. was what uh, Keith Richards wanted. Um. The first, the first one I ever took, first acid I ever took, was in Sergeant Pepper's. Which, considering I hate the Beatles, but it was so much fun. It was very, it was very like hippy dippy. I went outside. I was in the park, and I was like, everything's connected, man. The first acid I ever took was Beavis and Butthead. Oh, that's so you, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, It was of the time. It was like I don't know, yeah, ninety two. That's perfect for you. Yeah, me and Kessler got like I think we had four hits. We had two apiece of Beavis and Butthead acid. Yeah, good times. The Acid King, Snyderman, David Jove, took all his dirty secrets to his grave, dubbed the wittiest, wildest, most brilliant runaway mind of the psychedelic 60s by Ed Ox, who wrote the one and only book on Jove called Freedom Spy. I would have liked to have bought this book, but it's very expensive. The funny thing about the whole Redlands bust is that its main intent was to bring down the stones. It's to discredit them. It's to bring them to moral order. But it completely backfired. If anything, it was free PR. The country backing two of the greatest musicians of all time. As an example of this, there was Times writer William Rees Mogg. He's a member of the establishment man. He wrote articles criticizing the sentences that the boys were slapped with, saying, There must remain a suspicion in this case that Mr. Jagger received a more severe sentence than that would have been thought proper for any purely anonymous young man. Well, they probably were trying to just set an example there. But if you think about it, you're right. The reverse happened. I mean, they became like notorious figures in rock and roll history at this point. Now, I mean, they're known worldwide as like the bad boys of rock and roll. I mean, this uh, maybe not for Marianne Faithful, who was trying to maintain this squeaky clean image. But for the the Stones, especially Keith Richards, now I guarantee they made, you know, tens of thousands more fans from this bust. Right. The bust would also be a bonding moment for Keith and Mick. Anyone who knows the Stones, Stones history, and I touched upon it in last week's episode, 
It bonded the pair, meaning Brian, who was already a bit of an outsider, felt even more alienated, although he had plenty of input in their pretty terrible and hastily rushed out uh, album, their satanic uh, majesty's request. I do quite like the first side of that album. I was just about to say the same thing. I have that record. I actually have the original. It's a cool record to have if you can get yeah, the original because it has the, yeah. uh, was that the lenticular picture? Yeah, that kind of flips up. Yeah, it's it's super uh, cool. It's a cool thing to. But if you but that album, the first side's great. I could live without listening to the second side. <laughs> like I just, yeah, because I mean, it's it not opens, bad, but it opens up with "She's Like a Rainbow," yeah. and you're like, "Oh, this is really good." And then yeah, the second side is just pretty much unlistenable. Well, it's kind of the Stones' answer to Sgt. Pepper's. Um, yeah, definitely not as good. But you know what's funny, Mick Jagger. Uh, re- used to refer to Jones as a wooden leg because of his probation from a, you know extensive excessive drug use. They weren't allowed to leave England and tour the States because of Brian Jones because he wasn't allowed to leave the country for long periods of time. So then right after he died by, quote, misadventure um, in 69, they did a massive U.S. tour. Like a They're year like, later, yay, you know? <laughs> we're on the road. That reminds me of the Kinks. Um, the one reason the Kinks, because the Kinks were fucking bigger than uh, the Beatles over here to begin with and they were and they went over to America and because they are such drinkers Dave Davies and Ray brothers and they're they're very hostile with each other got in huge fights they got banned from America for 10 years so that's why the kinks were never huge in America because they weren't allowed to go over but they would have been I mean, my opinion, I'd much rather listen to the Kinks and the Beatles. Don't get me wrong. That's the thing. And I know you hate the Doors, too. Um, But the Beatles, there was a point in time when I really liked the Beatles, and I do really appreciate the White Album. I'm just not, I'm not putting on Abbey Road, you know. I'm not listening to, like, Yellow Submarine all that often. In fact, I get kind of infuriated when that song does come on. Um, Like today. I have a soft spot for Ringo. Well, today, you know, I have that, uh, I have that, superstition that I got from Kessler that if a right. Beatles song comes on the radio, you're not allowed to turn it off or it's bad luck. And I used to be like, oh, bullshit. But I remember we were driving to Detroit to go, I think we're going to see, I think we're going to see you 2 actually. Ew. Yeah, we were driving to Detroit, Beatles song came on, and uh, I was like, I don't want to fucking listen to this. And I switched it. Because I liked the Beatles when I was a kid, like when I was like 10 or 11. Like my dad liked the Beatles a lot. But by the time I was like, you know, a freshman in high school, I wasn't listening to Beatles anymore. At that point, Kessler was a rabid Beatles fan. Even up until the day he died, he loved the Beatles. He was um, an Anglophile, though. He loved anything British. Yeah, I mean, he loved the Kinks, too. But I remember, like, we're driving the car. Might have been back from the U2 show, but I'd switched the channel, and right when I did that, his transmission died in, the, in his Oldsmobile. just died on the highway, and we were stuck. Like, we had to walk, like, a few miles, actually, until a patrolman came and stopped and picked us up, and then we got to a phone to call AAA. But it was, like, after, since then, I don't fuck around. If there's a Beatles song on, which seldom happens, you know, this day and age. You don't really hear the Beatles that much on the radio anymore. Um, seldom happens. But if it does, I, I'll listen to it all the way through. And so today, I'm sitting here driving in the, in the you know, in the new, in the new uh, uh, D-Mobile here. The Claw And uh, I'm driving it back. And uh, I stopped at the light, and I was, like, flipping through radio stations, trying to, like, set my favorite ones. And I flip it on, and guess what comes on? Hey Jude. Hey Jude. Fucking eight-minute song. One of the worst songs I've ever heard. I said, you know, I, I did shut it off. I just turned the volume down and just sat there very angry. Listen to the whole fucking thing. 
was about to say, we will have to amend this rule if I'm in the car with you, because at my dad's funeral, the fucking song he chose was the Beatles' Let It Be. Uh. I'd never been to like a funeral where I was in the party member, like where I was in the family members. So as soon as that song started, I was like, I'm not having this. I'm, I'm out of here. And I got up and walked out and everyone thought I was really upset. I was like, no, I'm not listening to the Beatles. So I'm sorry, Kessler, if Let It Be ever comes on the radio, it's being turned off. Wait, did your dad at the funeral, everyone just have to sit there in silence and listen to the entire song? Is it Let It Be? Wow, you know I was what? Like, my I funeral, didn't. I went outside and had a cigarette. At my funeral, I'm going to put on South of Heaven. <laughs> you got to listen to the whole thing. <laughs> I'll just walk out. Like, there's nothing that says you have to stay there for it. <laughs> the Redlands burst its part of pop culture history. It firmly set in place the Rolling Stones' outlaw appeal, and this in turn made them more marketable. It was a win win for everyone in some ways. The establishment had wished that it would be a final nail in the coffin, but the Stones, they're only just beginning. As Keith admits to their bad boy portrayal, I've been playing up to it ever since. And they can only thank a mysterious Canadian by the epitaph of the Acid King for handing them fame on a silver press kit platter. <laughs> Infamous narc there. Um, you know what's funny? After uh, you know, I was reading through, uh, prepping for the show, reading about the uh, uh about david joe the acid king read so much about the stones that was like i need to listen to some stones records and so i know it was kind of late and i had to get up early because i had to pick up the car i ended up i ended up like staying up till about four in the morning got wasted and just listened to like five different stones records like, yeah and what's funny is the night before when i was writing this i did the exact same thing i drank a whole bottle of wine i pushed my sofa back and i put on tons of like live footage from the rolling stones in like the 70s and i was just fucking dancing till about 5 a.m so we, did, we had the same reaction i hope everyone just goes and listens to the stones after this. one of the greatest bands of all time i'm always yeah. wary of anyone who says they don't like the stones yeah i just don't i don't see how you can not like them yeah, They're that's brilliant. like basically saying, I don't like any kind of rock music. You anyway, know, I also say the same about people who say they don't like ABBA. So there you go. No. <laughs> I, <laughs> I like ABBA for what they are. I would say I'm, ABBA I'm is perfect ABBA pop music. I agree with that. Uh, people, this is episode 873 here of Sick and Wrong. Got a couple phone calls to get to from some new listeners here. Uh, people can call the Sticker on Hotline 323-522-4032. But first, here's a quick holiday message from Adam and Eve. Ah, the holidays. It's snowing outside, the fire is crackling, and there's a big jar of unused lube on your nightstand. And that can only mean one thing. It's December. Yes, that time of year that we celebrate Christ's alleged birth with the purchase of a shiny brand new dildo at AdamEve.com. And if you use coupon code DIDDLE on your order, you'll get 50% off your first purchase, three free adult DVDs, and a free gift. Show your loved ones you still care and cram a brand new dildo down their holiday road. Support Sick and Wrong by supporting our sponsor, AdamandEve.com, and making a purchase using coupon code DIDDLE. That's D-I-D-D-L-E, like priests do to altar boys. Hallelujah. So we've got a few uh, phone calls to get to. 323-522-4032 is that number. People, give us a call because we are recording the holiday show Sometime either next week or the weekend after. And Lance Wackerly and John Steele will be here. So give us a call because we want to play your calls. Um, ask, them what, ask them anything. I don't give a shit. Just ask them something. 
because um, uh, we'll, we'll definitely be playing those calls on, on the show. So 323-522-4032 is that number, or you can email us, sickerunpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we got a call here from a first-time caller in Love Texas. It. Oh, amazing. Hello, guys. Um, yeah, I'm a, I think I'm a first caller here. Uh, I live in Texas. I've been watching y'all guys for like about four months now, maybe, off and on. Oh. So the only co-host I know is Rambo. I've been going back like every time I watch the new ones, there's nothing else to watch. I start watching all the old ones. So it's still okay, Rambo, but it's just all the old ones. But hearing about like all the stuff going, I don't know. Here, let me see. So I was tripping balls last night. This is right there. I was on mushrooms. <laughs> this is a very apropos call here. Because um, that's pretty much what we've been talking about the whole show. It is weird, like, discovering a, a podcast like this, where most podcasts are, like, either, like, one season. I think it's funny when, um, like, I don't know, uh, Sod and Scale, and he's like, and I've been on the airwaves since 2010. And I'm just like, get in line, buddy. Dee's well, been on the airwaves since 2006. There's, like, a lot of history with Sick and Wrong. Well, that, that's the other thing, too. It's like, so this guy, you know, his introduction to Second Wrong is me and you. And so that's yes. who he's used to, like, you know, uh, this this era of Second Wrong. So then you go back to Harrison. So it's like, oh, here's a new host. And then Wackerly. So it's like three different eras of this show because we've been on so fucking long. Three decades of your life, nearly, in a way. Two decades almost, but yeah. Mm. Mushrooms. And once the peak started... Everything started just going crazy, and for some reason, I wanted to take an Epsom bath. I've never done that before, but my roommate oh. got some Epsom salt, so I was like, "Once again, you don't want to you don't want to bathe when you're tripping." No. <laughs> I don't like Great taking a shit down. or bathing when I'm tripping. Uh, yeah, like uh, when I'm tripping, when I'm high, I have to be outside. I can't be caged. I'm like a wild animal. I've got to be outside in nature. If I was inside, like especially trapped in a bathroom, I think I would like go nuts. Have you ever taken a shit while you're high on acid? I'm usually a vomiter. I'm not a shitter. Like, but it'll be a very foamy vomit, and then I'll I'll start getting high as I vomit, and I'm like, right, and then I'm just gonna get out the door. I thought I was giving birth. <laughs> Were you? <laughs> was it a little golem? <laughs> yeah, I was making a golem. <laughs> <laughs> did it was it did it look like Nugar? <laughs> Nugar, please. I'm gonna try it. So I fill up the tub and I fill that shit up and I was like in another world. I was just in my head floating and for some reason the reason I'm calling is because I thought it was funny. For some reason in my trip, I'm like, let me call freaking wrong. So I grab my phone never called you before but for some reason i wanted to call you when i was tripping balls so i grab my phone and then i look up on you i look up on google sick and wrong hotline <laughs> and it it just pops up facebook so i press it and i'm like for two minutes answering all these questions but then it, it, it made me realize i was like these are kind of like these are kind of like um weird questions to be asked wait a second so he was trying to call the show, but he actually went on Facebook, not our Facebook page. He just was on Facebook trying to log in. He couldn't figure out how to log in. 
I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Or unless he'd found a different sick and wrong and it was asking him questions about if he was sick and wrong. I like the fact he's enjoying his bath, though. It's you working know, It is well kind of funny. Like, why do people take a bath in Epsom salt? Is it to, like, cure some kind of pain? Like, if you have joint pain or something? It's really, really, really good if you're coming down off opiates. It's, like, really good for muscle relaxant. Oh, that's it's not it's my cup of tea in Epsom salt bath, but, like, yeah, junkies use it. Hmm. It's something I associate with junkies. Well, is it kind of like, have you ever been in a sensory deprivation tank? No, we've talked about this, but I think I would be very susceptible to that, and I really would like to go in one. Yeah, they, when you, when next time you come here, we'll go to the one in Pasadena. I thought it was great. Um, I was really high, but I would love to, like, be able to trip. I know they don't want you to play music, but it'd be amazing to trip and put on, like, Blue Oyster Cold or something. That's what I'd want. I'd want them to put some music on, and I would just, like... I mean, I guess you could probably do that. You could probably bring your earphones or something, or but yeah, no, I'm not sure how that would you're work. You're in water. But, I'm not mixing electricity in water. But you're in like this tank that's filled with some kind of I don't know if that's Epsom salt, but some kind of like solution that you're you literally are floating on top of the water. See, my problem would be that I would probably start getting fascinated trying to be like I can sink. You know, and then I'd be like trying to push myself down. And for a whole hour, I'd be like, no, I can. And then at the end, they're like, it's time to get out. I'd be like, what? Well, sick. you're not in that. D- it's like not even like maybe a foot of water. You're not in that much water. So you can touch the bottom if you want to. It's warm, isn't it? It's like room temperature, I think. How do they clean it out? That's a good question. I was wondering if they cleaned it between people. Uh, the place that we went to was very clean. I forget the name of it in Pasadena, but it was uh, it was very clean. So I wasn't too concerned about it, but I imagine there's probably some that there might be like some pubes floating around. You know, I do love a bath and I respect, I especially respect men who take baths because there's not many. Fancy like lads a man. love baths. It's fancy lads who can enjoy a bath. <laughs> fancy lads. Started asking what year is born, what password did I want to make? And then I look up and I'm, I'm literally signing up for Facebook and I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> So then I was like, okay, now is not the time to be trying to call y'all guys. So I will put my phone down, stop tripping balls, and then call y'all. So it's the next morning, and I'm getting ready for work. So I've never done a call before, so I'm sorry if it's weird right now, if I sound weird or if I just sound like I don't know what to say. But, yeah. Uh, I got to say, you're better than, like, 90% of our callers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> most, like people are just, would... most people are off their tits when they're calling us. I would never have the guts to like ring uh, like a podcast for the first time. So like big ups to you, Salty Texan. Yeah. I fuck with y'all guys. I've never listened to podcasts before, but my phone had this app downloaded. Randomly click it, randomly see y'all, press it, and I've been watching it ever since. But Oh wow. I literally just I don't fuck with podcasts, but I fuck with y'all. So uh, And I fuck with you, Salty Texan. I think Texan. I'm gonna go by the name Texan Kush. Texting Chris sounds pretty cool. Okay. Um, that's all I have to say for right now. Keep it sick and wrong. And goodbye. Texan Kush? Is that what he's going by? I thought you said Texas, Texas King Kush. Let me rewind that. It sounds like a bit like a British, uh, British grime rapper. It, it sounds like a strain of weed you get at a dispensary. Like, here's some Texas oh, Kush. It it's just really huge buds. That's Texas what I'm King Kush podcast but i fuck with y'all so uh i think i'm gonna go by the name texan kush texan kush texas king kush is what i think he's saying 
I kind of like salty Texan, salty balls. <laughs> I like Texas King Kush. <laughs> Texas King ha. Kush. All right there, Mr. I'm Texas, the Texas Kush. King Kush. Yeah, we want to hear, what do you do for work? Where are you going to work here? That's what I want to Maybe know. Maybe he, he won't reveal that. Maybe. All right. Just tell us. Well, He's recovered pretty well from tripping his balls, and then he's like, got to go to work the next day. Because, you know, the next day after I take mushrooms and I've had a big trip, I'm, I'm like a little bit slow. Slow the next day. I usually like to take it when I've got an extra day off to, recu- to recover. Recu- I have to say, mushrooms are becoming normalized. They're not just like this, you know, purely recreational hallucinogenic. It's like people are... I, I was reading somewhere people said it's less harmful for you than uh, marijuana. It, do you think... I don't, I don't know. know. I it's mean, probably I, the same level, isn't it? I feel like I can drive on weed. You know, I can drive when I'm a little bit buzzed. I don't like to drive when I'm tripping. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, but nobody should be operating a motor vehicle, you know, no, when you're I mean, in an impaired you, state. Yeah, you shouldn't be operating a motor vehicle in any kind of impaired state. It's just kind of stupid to do that. You know, not not even that. Like, I don't think that I'm not going to make it home. I'm sure I will make it home. I'm not going to, like, kill somebody. But if you get pulled over, you're fucked. It's not worth it. I mean, I'd just no, take isn't. a fucking Uber for 40 bucks. I kind of want to call this caller um, King of the Hill. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see when he calls back. But thank you, first-time caller. It always does take some balls, some salty balls to call a podcast. <laughs> um and it's not even that easy. I think, you know, just a, a, a suggestion, if I may make one here, is just put us on speed dial. Just put us in your phone. Just be like, sick and wrong podcast. And then when you're really fucked up, you just press the button. That's what I think that's what a lot of callers do. And for outside, uh, outside the U.S. listeners, you can just record, just record a voice memo or record yourself speaking and then send it as an MP3. Just, yeah, send just don't it do it through Facebook it. or I'll put a pox on your children. Yes, Kiki. <laughs> All right, next up, uh, next caller here is Big Red from uh, Pennsylvania. Oh, I love it. Hello, D and Kate. This is Big Red from Pennsylvania calling to regale you with my second round story. I've been a listener since around 2012 when my wife and I were on a road trip. We were looking for something stupid to listen to, and we <laughs> found it. Yeah, perfect. Looking for something stupid to listen to? This podcast. You know, I can't think of who it was. I'm trying to think of this. Some guy had been listening to it like uh, sick and wrong for like, I don't know, like 15 years. I mean, almost since its inception. And he said the reason he found it is he bought a car like in uh, the outback of Australia. And it had just yeah. like he and his friend bought this car. They're going to do, do a road trip. And it just had a CD with just a bunch of recorded episodes on it. And they just spent the whole time just listening to like, I don't know, 50 episodes. I remember you telling me that story. Yeah, it's I wonder so, where that so bizarre. Is now. I'm always interested when uh, when I find out how people you know discover this podcast. Yeah, I am too. Our weekly updates as to what the show topic was, but I've been listening pretty much every week since then, and my mind is more warped than I ever thought possible. I enjoyed the <laughs> Wackerly years, then graduated along with Harrison and his debauchery, and now Sweet Kate. I love oh. Seal and Jeff and Stephanie and. All the other wonderful guests. D, you have been a second wrong beacon in my life for many years, and I am glad to give as a Patreon member, even though there are probably better uses for my money. No. On to my story. I was traveling for business and stayed in a hotel. I was done with my work shit on Thursday, but my flight was to leave on Friday. 
come to find out my room has already been reserved and I got kicked out of the hotel and had to find another spot. The manager. Well, that's fucked up. Has that ever happened to you? No, but they can do that. I mean, I guess if like they're not going to have you share the room with somebody. No, but if the hotel has overbooked you, is it not the hotel's problem? And shouldn't they find you a room at another hotel and pay for it themselves? I, I think they just probably refund your money. But I imagine if there's like a convention in town, if that that guy was at a, you know, if that's why he was there. But you could be fucked. I'd sleep in the lobby. I'd be like, fuck yous. Watch me go sleep on that sofa. Because I can sleep anywhere. I'm going to the utility room. <laughs> like in the Kevin in the office. <laughs> told me that the hotel is reserved for a convention and it's closed to the public. Oh. I asked, well, what's the occasion? Why would I get bumped? Oh, well, this group reserved the hotel, whole hotel every year. It's an adults-only party and they okay. pay a lot. Sorry, we can't change this. I found out later this is the home base for the national meeting of the ADBL, which is adult baby diaper lovers. No. Oh, man. Wow, could you imagine getting the room right after one of these uh, adult babies had it? I'm more thinking about like the people who work there who have to watch these adult babies all weekend. And you, you, how much would you just be wanting to laugh or to film them to make reels for TikTok? Yeah, I wonder you if you're allowed to uh, to bring out your camera at these Gosh, adult baby me. conventions. Like, are they just, like, acting like babies so they'll be running around the lobby, like, crying, throwing a tantrum, shitting their pants? Or are they respectful that you're in your workplace? You know, I've often wondered about this. If you have this huh. adult baby fetish, like, how far do you carry it? Is it just something that you do when you're at home or with your partner? Or do you, like, you know, are there people who wear, like, a diaper under their pants to work? Oh, definitely there are. Definitely there are people who take that fetish with them. And do in little ways. God, like so that. creepy. You know, um, wackily. I mean, I get it. <laughs> what you were going to say, wackily, was an adult baby. Oh, I wish. Well, you know, <laughs> it's funny because that's one thing he hates more than anything, infantilism. Oh, we should talk to him about it. We, you bring it up and he'll go off about how much he hates it. He feels like, wackily also despises most fetishes, like he just, or S&M, BDSM, or everything. He just feels like people have too much time on their hands. Like, he thinks they should just be at a bar drinking instead of, like, having, like, a two-hour lovemaking session. I'm like, always just interested at what point it goes from we can't just, like, fuck, come, and fall asleep to when it becomes, okay, now I can't even get it up unless you have a diaper on and my balls are in a vice. Like, what? how does it get to that level? Well, would you be willing to put up with, like, let's say you met a guy, and you could have regular sex, but the thing that really turned this guy on was for him to, like, shit his diaper, and then oh. you take the diaper off, you know, clean him off, powder up his, you know, his, his <laughs> ass and everything, and, and then give him a quick little handy. Like, could you do that? I don't even like real life children. Like real children, I don't want to be around them. So why would I want an oversized one? Well, I'm just asking plus... for a friend here. So, <laughs> <laughs> right, D. If it ever gets, to, I know, I know, we pledged. Well, we didn't actually pledge in sickness and in health because we pledged to Danzig lyrics. But if there comes a stage and you have to be wearing diapers, we will employ an outside help at that point. Oh, great. I'm not so we can dealing get a, with it. We can get a professional 
to give me a hand. We'll get a professional to give you a handy at the end of every type right. of I'm, I'm writing that. Actually, it's recorded, so it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's there for generations now. They converge on the whole fucking hotel, set up all kinds of scenarios and wild stuff. Against my better judgment, my wife and I looked at their website, and it surely classifies as sick and wrong. I'd love to hear D interview an adult baby diaper lover someday. Anyway, thanks for listening. I had two other things. Well, I wonder what, what did you do? Like, did you did you get an Airbnb or something? You're gonna have to go and get another thing. But we should totally try and track down an adult baby. The only problem is, as soon as a lot of people when they find out the name of the podcast, they just they just ghost you. Well, because they think I'm gonna ridicule them on air. But you know, yeah. I've interviewed dominatrixes who have done you know adult baby type you know play but i've never actually i don't think i've ever had a diaper lover or an adult baby on the show i can't, i get the I psychology of it but i just want to know how they get to the point where they first realize that maybe i'll be really turned on if i wear a diaper well, the other thing too is like do they watch like porn or are they watching sesame street probably both at the same there's time, there's gotta be a, there's gotta be. You know, when Debbie Harry appeared on uh, the Muppet Show, that's practically porn because she looked so good. Hmm. Yeah, that is sexy. Anyway, I want to know what you did. I would have. What I would have tried to do is just sneak into the convention. What would you, you just put a diaper rolls. on and just gone wah wah and walked upstairs? I'm sure you could. Be, you know, I'm sure you could wear normal clothes. It would just be really hard to do this with a straight face. I think I could pull it off, but I would have. I definitely would have wanted to check it out. One time I was listening to an episode a couple years ago, well before your marriage announcement, and I thought, Dee and Kate, listen how they talk to each other. These guys have to be fucking. Turned out I was right. And Kate, really like your takes on just about everything, especially your opinions on the D.O. era of Sabbath. Keep it sick, keep it wrong. Love you guys. Fuck yeah, Big Red. My man, Big Red. I do love D.O. too, but it's not better than Ozzy Sabbath. For the record. Me and Big Red are going to fight you, and then we're <laughs> going to go with his wife to an adult baby show somewhere. It is funny how uh, some listeners, you know, deduce that some some eagle-eared listeners figured it out that we had like this kind of r- rapport. But initially, we weren't fucking because no. you lived in another country, and I didn't get to see you very often. Yeah, no, and it was never a case of like. No, that's not why you're on the show. I mean, yeah, I'm on the show because I'm obviously brilliant and I know where Bali is. Brill. And you know how to <laughs> pronounce the word nougat. It's nougat. Uh, you know what? When I get to work on Monday, the, the question, the first question I'm going to have for the crew is going to be, how, how do you pronounce nougat? And they're going to be like, it's nougat, you slag. <laughs> That's what they're yeah, going to say. That'll be how it goes. <laughs> anyway, thank you, Big Red. And uh, yeah, I want to—I never really thought that the adult babies would have a convention, but I guess it does make sense. There's a convention for everything. Yes, anyway, people call the Sick Wrong Hotline, 323-522-4032. Uh, we definitely like to hear from you. Uh, once again, big ups to all the listeners who support us on Patreon. Uh, we do really yeah. appreciate you know the support. We appreciate you helping us keep keep the show going You know every week. Patreon.com slash Sick and Wrong. Also... Um, if you, if you're a member of the Patreon, you could sign up. Uh, I think I just made it for all patrons, no matter what the monetary level is. But I posted a couple videos from my trip to San Francisco last weekend. I gave my brother, my 51 year old brother, 
He's turning 51 in a couple days. A disembodied, interactive Deadpool head. I mean, he's been bothering me about this for about a year now. And so, How much did that head cost? Somebody asked me. I was like, it was well, fucking expensive. Yeah, it's not cheap. I, yeah, I found one on eBay, and I put an offer in. So I think it was like 150 and I offered like 130 and they were like, okay. No. About 130 bucks. That's a lot of money for yeah. a disembodied I mean, Deadpool head. It's kind of cool. I mean, it's, it, you know, it's like it reacts to your movements and it just, you know, just basically speaks nonsense Deadpool comments. But my sister hated it. She hated it. So I got a video of her just swearing at it. And I posted <laughs> that to the Patreon. So you can go check it out. Also, uh, T Public does have like a holiday special going on, I think this whole month. So if you want to go buy some uh, Sick and Wrong merch, just go to sickandwrongpodcast.com slash shop and uh, click on the picture of the Pope. Finally here, Sick and Wrong Song of the Week. Uh, Kate was like, we have to play the Stones. And we do. We, bo- we both had a, a binge Stones records uh, the past couple nights. And so, you know, it's funny with a band like the Stones. Led Zeppelin's kind of the same way. Same with the Beatles. It's like, other than like their new albums, like the Stones' new records, like I... When when I consider new records, I consider something that came out in like the '90s. You know, I don't really know that era of the Stones. Yeah, you know, I know the '60s, the '70s, a couple of the, uh, the 80s. early '80s, uh, some of the they early some '80s records. Fucking carcass from the '80s, and I know a few of the '90s too. But that's just because I had CDs. But like the last twenty years, I couldn't name an album. Although I mean, it's not bad. It just sounds very derivative of what they did. You know, I'd rather listen to what they did in the '70s. But one right. album in particular always stands out, and every you know true Stones fan is always like, "Excel on Main Street is the best record." Man. And I gotta say, I agree; it's my favorite record. And for the main reason is because there's just like no huge hits on it. And yeah, I get that. Every song is is amazing, um, and it's just an incredible album, and it's definitely my favorite favorite record. But anyway, the other day, I was uh, I downloaded it on Apple Music. And I got the deluxe edition. I didn't even, you know, I didn't even realize I got that. I just downloaded it. And I was walking walking back home and I was listening to it. And there are like ten bonus songs that never made the cut, the original cut of Exile, but they were recorded, you know, during those sessions. And they included these bonus tracks on the deluxe edition that came out in twenty thirteen. So yeah, this I one song came on them, but that we're gonna close the show with that I'd never heard before. But I was just like, what the fuck? Like what's it was one of those reactions where like what's how do I not know every song on Exile, and so I like I listened to it and I looked up looked up the record and I was like oh shit there's like ten new songs a couple of the songs that they include on this bonus is uh, Keith Richards version of Loving Cup and uh, Soul Survivor. When we were talking about this before, so Keith Richards version of Loving Cup is probably in my like top five actual favorite Stone songs. Because he wrote that song and him singing it, especially because you can see the double meaning when he's, you know, he's talking about like heroin and women. And it's, I just think it's way more romantic than when Mick sings it. I mean, I love Mick, but it's just, I think, think yeah, I think it's a better version too. Like just listening to that, I was like, wow, this is like better than the original. But anyway, this song plundered my soul. Like I'm surprised that, that, that this didn't make the cut. It's a great song. And uh, it's included on the Exile Main Street Deluxe Edition that came out in 2013. So we're going to end the show here with that track. People will be back next week with episode 874. Till then, take it sleazy.
Responsibility for a long time about pop singers generally. Everybody in the public eye has a responsibility. I'm not quite sure if this responsibility is quite as great as they make out because I believe that individuals really have their, make their own minds up more than people think. They really don't follow <coughs> that much. You know, I mean, if, if they'd have followed Paul McCartney, you know, if all the Beatle fans in the world have followed Paul McCartney, just they would have. Taken acid by now, which I'm sure isn't the case.